I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome, friends. This is Theology Unplugged. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm good doing. To see you. I'm really excited. We got a, a studio full of people. Very excited about don't, that. Don't so. jump to that. I'm I'm, I'm building up. To Did that. I just steal your thunder? No, it wasn't okay. stealing your thunder. But it was um, just. You know what? Me sitting alone in the studio right now. I'm doing fine. Thank you. No, <clears throat> we do have special guests. Uh, <laughs> we do. Uh, normal guest Sam Storms. Yes, but we also have a special guest. Who who, who is this? Who is this? Yeah, this is JJ. Why is he here? Why is he here? Because he is somebody that we love, and uh, we want to bring him in and beat him up a little bit. Well, we got lots of people that we love. Yeah, well, he's articulate, he's well-read, and he loves Christ. And All right, I'm going to tell more about JJ about in just a minute. Stop. <laughs> okay. Um, coming to you from the Credo House, we are continuing our discussion on why I am slash not charismatic. This is our third session, right? I think so. Hey, yeah, Sam. I think so. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm uh, better than I should be, that's for sure. Good. Tim, you got your coffee? I do. I you even it. bring out the presentation here in the studio with the I can't help it, man. Refill yeah. and our, I mean, does that really help you? Uh, well, you know, I think that there's dignity to work, and I think if I'm going to put together coffee, I'm not going to do it in a sloppy way. I'm going to do it the same that I would serve it to customers. So. It's got a platter here with, what is this on the platter? Uh, well, this is... So is that I what I my, call it? Is that a platter? Is that okay? Well, I mean, this is a... What would you call this? It's a tray. Yeah, there's a there's a tray. It's a tray. Now, the tray has the Council of Chalcedon, the creed, written below it. So as I'm taking a sip, I can glance and see, you know, the first line, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker. The tray kind of curves around. I can't see everything. we give this out as presentation to customers, right? Yeah, anybody that gets a coffee at the Credo House, uh, they're going to get a tray that has some unique teaching that will help them in their discipleship. And every time I see you, you have a tray with you as well. Yeah, well, because I'm a disciple. I need to continue. Continue learning. So. All right, that's good. I got my Seven Eleven cup. Yeah, I know. There's, there's no dignity to that at all. Yeah, I know. I know. I have here my cup with the Council of Chalcedon. Your cup says Big Gulp on the side. <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't know how you could sleep at night. Um, <laughs> moving on. Yes. Talking about uh, why I am not charismatic. Nothing really to announce right now, right? No, 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 we, we do. Got the we, got, we got next week, starting Tuesday night here at Credo House, a new boot camp, right? Um, yes, apologetics. So we'll spend four weeks going through apologetics. It's, it's been exciting at the Credo House. We had people sitting on the floor for church history, of all things. I mean, uh, just cool, Why cool is stuff. it exciting that they're sitting on the floor for church history? <laughs> well, because it's so full that, that there aren't enough seats for people, and that, you know what, most, I think, people you would think wouldn't be interested in church history because it's kind of like, hey, I'm living for the new, you know, I'm always looking for the newest release in Netflix, newest things, newest things. But what we recognize in Christianity is that people love to learn about their roots because the Spirit of God has been working in the lives of His people for 2,000 years. And so so caring about church history is caring about what the Spirit has been doing in the lives of the Bride of Christ. And, and so then next week we people start love this that. Defending the Faith series for That's four right. weeks. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, good. Uh, if you're in cl- close, if you're listening to us here in Oklahoma, if you have planned on making a trip out to the Credo House sometime and spending some time, we got somebody that's coming down here to Oklahoma to have their honeymoon here. 
yeah. because they want to spin into the Creed of Haas. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Which is yeah, cool and weird at the same time. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, it's if cool. you're listening, it's yes. not weird. No, it's very normal. Everybody Wait, does yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Unplugged. I can't even edit that out. <laughs> um, but uh, come down here and hang out at the Creed of Haas maybe on a Tuesday night and stay the night. And, yeah. You know, uh, and keep checking out the blog. We're actually going to post all of our church history audio on our blog. Uh, probably by the time this broadcast comes out, that'll be on the blog. And keep checking the blog for the uh, the series that Michael and Sam are writing. And I am kicking off a, a series today as well that will probably be the ruin of me. But I'm going to try and say who the top ten theologians in church history now, it's not the ruin of you because you're writing on top ten theologians. It's the ruin on you, of you because you're going to try to rank them, right? I'm going to try and anytime and rank you them. try to rank anything like that, you're in big trouble. It's going to be the ruin of me, yes. So, yeah. uh, so you'll be, you'll I'm be hoping a I heretic can... for your ranking. <laughs> and then I'm, a, yeah. Hopefully, we'll I'll do a top ten heretics. So I might be number ten. We'll see. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to JJ. Uh, JJ, welcome to the studio. Thanks welcome for having me, guys. Home. I have to look back at JJ now like this <laughs> yeah. because he's got the nice microphone that is uh, a lapel mic. I actually get to lounge. The rest of you have to lean in. I get to lean back. Well, JJ, we've, uh, we, me and Tim, we spend some time with you on Thursdays. Uh, That's right. Have a... What, what do we call it? It's not called the Calvin study. It's just called the book study, right? Well, I like. I just joined it. Yeah, the way that I think. So we read how many pages? Maybe two thousand pages last summer together. Yeah, uh, four or books so. on culture and Carson yeah. and and all these other great guys. It was a ton of fun. So we did a lot of reading. So and yeah. the we're reading through Calvin's institutes now. I like to think of it. You know, C.S. Lewis. They meant they were the Inklings. I think we're the weaklings. <laughs> That's accurate. the way I like to think of it. So. <laughs> okay. Well, JJ, part of the weaklings. We. Uh, <laughs> We've had an idea since we're going through the series with Sam. Sam, we didn't want you to be alone the whole time, and we're, we're just being kind. You know, this is an act of kindness. I'll take all the help I can get. Yeah, we figured you needed reinforcements because we were starting to get pretty serious here. In the in, in the interest of transparency, the real reason that these guys have brought me in for you listeners is uh, to to ha- to provide some weakness to Sam, so that they actually have a back door through which to uh, <laughs> to make charismatic beliefs uh, un- unmask was, them. I thought it was to bring us coffee refills. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's what I. That's no, what I, I do at work for Sam. <laughs> and JJ works with Sam. That's works, right. uh, As an associate pastor at Bridgeway, right? That's you right. That right. That's right. And uh, JJ, yes, the JJ is about the craziest charismatic I know of. So I felt <laughs> like this is going to be perfect. But, you know, Sam's too tame. He's like a. You, you, you got to get somebody in here to beat up on, and that's right. he, he might break out in tongues. He might, you know, do some type of. Uh, Charismatic something, right? <laughs> Just might slow you guys in the spirit before we die. Sweet. All right. Well, good. Well, let's continue to talk about this. Sam, we talked a little bit this week about the subject that we're going to cover. And I think, you know, a lot of our listeners have been reading the blog that, of us going back and forth. I think we've done our second post, haven't done the second response to the second post yet. But I don't want our listeners to have to be reliant upon necessarily going to the blog and listening to this, because a lot of them don't. They just have been listening to this for years. So, listeners, we're not going to do that to you. But at the same time, we're following suit to some degree with how the blogs are coming out, and we're probably going to be discussing some of those things as the, I guess, the conversation advances. Our goal here is to talk about me personally. I'm not a charismatic. Tim is not a charismatic. JJ, Sam, both of you are are charismatics, although we've talked a little bit about that terminology and how hard it is because a lot when a lot of people hear this word charismatic, 
different things come to mind, and we're trying to clarify that as much as we can before we continue to move on. Yeah. Now, there's two things that I think that are, are on the table, at least from my perspective, and I've, uh, I, I emailed you, Sam, and told you this, that I think we need to uh, further clarify what it is that we mean, and I also think we need to clarify what's at stake from the perspective of each one of us. Because I don't want it to come across, and this is what I've been noticing as we've been discussing this on the blog and in here, that I don't really want it to come across as, oh, this is a non-essential. We don't really care that much about it. So we want to discuss a non-essential and and show that we don't care that much about it, that we can still be friends about it. Now, when you say don't care that much about it, are you saying just in light of things like the Trinity that we care an immense amount of, that it can seem in light of some some of what we would say are the absolute essentials of the faith that, oh, well, we don't care as much as about this because it's not huge like the deity of Christ. I, I think what I'm saying, kind of, but what I'm saying is that as we discuss this, it, it seems to be that I continue to get a sense of feeling that this is very important. I mean, I know this, that's a given. We wouldn't be doing this program if it wasn't important. But I'm saying this is really something that that does affect us and our Christian life at a level of how we act, who we are, how we conduct our spirituality, and to some degree, how we see God. So what I'm trying to do is to say that while, yes, this is a non-essential, while, yes, none, none of us think the other person in here is going to burn in hell because of this or is... Uh, uh, should, should we frame that as a question? Right, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no comment. A pregnant <laughs> silence. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> None of us uh, see this as that type of an issue, but I don't want anybody to think, so therefore they're just saying it's no big deal. Non-essentials does not always mean not important. Let me put it this way, Sam. Do you think that this issue is more important than, say, how you view the end times, you know, whether you're an all-millennialist or a dispensationalist, uh, pre-millennialist. Would you say that this is more effective upon your Christian walk, that it, it will have, uh, that it has a greater impact in your life? Yes. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say it has more practical implications for how I live in the present than does eschatology. Yeah. You see what I'm saying now? Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. So it's why it's probably a, an issue that is of importance is because it relates to our everyday view of our Christian walk. Yeah. So in Sam's uh, ministry and in his pastorate, this is something that he doesn't think about once a month. He thinks about uh, weekly, if not daily. And so uh, and then we would as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I see the importance of it because of its, uh, should we say, pragmatic uh, influence in our lives. I think there's some complexity to trying to answer this question because um, there's a sense in which guys like Sam and I, as we sit at this table and talk about this, are deeply aware that uh, the way in which we want to give an account for what we're experiencing as the normal Christian life, uh, that you guys might um, differ on how you would describe the normal Christian life, doesn't mean that you aren't very possibly engaged in some of the very same things we are, but might call them by a different name. So there's a sense in which there's probably some things Sam's doing that you aren't doing in his day-to-day Christian walk, but there's a sense probably in which there's some things you guys are doing that we would consider in the bounds of being charismatic, dependence on the Holy Spirit, seeking to be sensitive to his guidance and leading as you do ministry. 
So there's that complexity there. It's not like saying, you know, the second wave of the charismatic movement. Have you had the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Oh, you haven't. Well, then you're over here and I'm over here. So that's, I think, how the debate can quickly unravel because it's not this elitism of we have something you don't have as much as we may understand it differently than you do, which then will will lead to uh, different actions on a day-to-day basis for us. And you would recognize it possibly differently than we would. Well, yeah. Well, and JJ, you know, you brought up that uh, an issue that I think is is always a boundary that we're going to be having to come up against uh, continually. Perhaps is this idea of uh, is this something that relates to the maturity of a believer, or is this something that is a so uh, most simplistically looking at a guy like Peter? Who was a believer in Christ? His confession when when he when Jesus said, "Who do you say I am?" Peter answered correctly as a believer. Yet there was more to come in his interaction with the Spirit. So where I would see like Ephesians one that having believed, you're you're filled with the Spirit, who's your deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. Um, but then you know you observe Peter and say, well, he had the second work of the Spirit that came upon him, and then he he did what he did. And so, um, Sam, in your uh, in your last post, I think in there you quoted that gentleman. I can't remember his started with a C. Mark Cartledge. Cartledge mm-hmm. quoted him at, at length, and which I thought was helpful. But in there he provided four. I think it was four kind of categories of that. These are the four categories of of what a charismatic is and I think his third one was that this work of the spirit is a, a, a sign of Christian maturity or is that that second work of Christian maturity but then you came around so you kind of said here is here's a good explanation of charismatic but then kind of afterwards after you quoted him at length you came in and said well I'm not sure about those last two or I don't hold to those last two as firmly mm-hmm. um, and so you know it's kind of here's a definition of the way kind of traditional charismatic but then we're kind of pulling away from those last two Do you, would you say that that's fair yeah I, I think um, my point simply was that what he was contending to be the distinctives of the charismatic experience or the charismatic tradition, that which would set a charismatic apart from mainstream evangelicals. I differed with him on a couple of points because yeah. I don't, at least in America, and again, I understand he's a, he's a Brit, and so in the U.K., in the European scene, it might be different. But in America, I didn't, uh, I don't think that, some of those issues are as definitive mm. for us, at least for me anyway, as they might be for him. Which, you know, in, in Michael's post, he brought up, uh, you know, the different uh, hard cessationists, a soft cessationist, a continuationist, and then a charismatic, I think, mm. were the four. And, and Michael and I would both say that we tend to fall into the soft, between kind of soft cessationists and continuationists more in there. But we don't like the term soft applied to us men in any way. So we thought we'd be a hard credoist, perhaps, is <laughs> what we are seeking to redefine the terms, just because no one wants to assume the title of soft. But with soft, though, meaning, though, that 
that basically seeing yes those sign gifts may be may be used today but they're used in that sign way so that it wouldn't surprise me to hear that in Papua New Guinea uh, a pastor stood up and and did miraculous things in or in let's say Bangladesh or some area that's surrounded by Islam a Christian pastor stands up does something very uh, supernatural that seems to be speaking in tongues or prophecy or healing or something like that that, then you know we'd say, oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all because that's uh, verifying the message um, of Christianity. But then uh, it seems like we're kind of in a line, though, of saying that geographically there could be some distinctions based on where you live of how you're viewing the Spirit working in the church, perhaps. So in some areas, uh, like, so we have a Brit that's saying over there, uh, this means that uh, there's it's kind of a related to maturity. But in the U.S., it seems like we are viewing it a little differently. Is is that fair? I think so. I think so. And I, I will say this, and this is obviously not something we're going to address today, but uh, this has come up repeatedly in conversation on our podcast and in our writings. I don't believe there's any such thing as sign gifts. Yeah. I don't believe spiritual gifts, as they are I set forth in Corinthians <laughs> 12, are designed to signify anything. Uh, I believe that there are signs and wonders, and I believe that miracles can signify things. But um, spiritual gifts are not primarily designed to be signs of anything. They're designed to build up and edify the body of Christ. So Mm -hmm. that may be a terminological little uh, discussion we can have down the road, but it's one that I would... uh, It keeps coming up, and people use this language all the time where they say, well, I believe that certain things can happen today, but that the sign gifts uh, are no longer functional. Well, I, I, I don't recognize that as a, as a legitimate biblical category. Because so that's a presupposition that that's the usage of those gifts was for signs and not just for right. the edification of right. the body. And so, so categorically then, like uh, the gift of generosity or hospitality, prophecy, all of those would fit in the same bucket, so yes. to speak, that they're all used for edification of the body. Yes, Okay. I like the way Sam has framed some of the dialogue in his, uh, I think it was his last post, in, in, in saying, in, in essence, this is really just a question of obedience to the word. You know, mm-hmm. Let's figure out together what it says, and let's seek to be obedient to it. So talking, framing it in the context of maturity makes me really nervous and maybe even seems like a category fallacy of, you know, I'm not, not really interested in debating what mature Christian exhibits or doesn't exhibit necessarily within this context as much as what does it say, and then I want to be faithful to obey it. And that yeah. seems to be a much better context, and I think that's all of our intent. Yeah. Another thing, just to maybe be a little bit produ- provocative, and, and oh, bring it, brother! I like this. Is, I like uh, this disclaimer. <laughs> is is I honestly and earnestly believe, and I don't say this flippantly, that that uh, that John MacArthur has probably prophesied several times in the sense that as he seeks to faithfully proclaim God's word expositionally from the text over the course of a, a lifetime of faithful ministry in the Word. He's just now finished preaching Wait a minute, the are you saying Testament. that John MacArthur has actually used one of the sign gifts? I believe he has. <laughs> now, I'm sorry. I, now, and, and I'm saying that as a, uh, you know, probably. In other words, I can't prove that, but, but my hunch is, based on what I believe and have experienced of the Spirit and what I feel like the New Testament says about its usage, and my, there's a sense in which there's probably no way in which he has sought to be a prayerful, godly man who searched the scriptures and proclaimed them expositionally from the pulpit, that God has not at, at certain points sovereignly superintended his words to be even more precise in the way in which they uncovered someone's heart in his congregation. And I believe he probably has said some things that may not have been in his notes, but he felt led to say them. 
and God was using them to very specifically speak to someone in his congregation. Now, he wouldn't call that prophecy, and, and so in that sense, I'm not interested in having a debate with him. I think there's probably evidence and fruit of the charismatic gifts in his life if, if I were to examine it, even though he would perhaps the charismatic disagree. sign gifts? <laughs> <laughs> no. Signs of the gifts or gifts that are signs, yeah. Now, how would you distinguish that from just a gift of teaching? So if you say, wow, he's really teaching the Word of God, where the Spirit is using his teaching and his insight in the Word of God to, because the Word of God applies to all human hearts, right? And so for someone to walk away and say, wow, this really applied to me, thank you, John MacArthur, Uh, you know, you're thanking the Spirit of God, really, for, and the Word of God, those two that really John MacArthur can't take any credit for. Because I'm a a rookie, maybe I'll answer it with with a story. Uh, Chuck Smith uh, of Calvary Chapel fame, I was raised in the Calvary Chapel movement, and, and Chuck uh, tells a memorable story of, of preaching through the word expositionally, and in his mind, just searching for an illustration for his text extemporaneously as he's preaching, and he says, and he's talking about people that would be fleecing the flock of God, and, he, and he's saying, you know, if you're wearing white loafers and, and you're driving a, a white Cadillac on Lido Island and you're pretending to be a missionary, and he becomes very, very specific in what he thinks is just a creative illustration of someone who's a bit of a shyster. You know, and not a true missionary that's collecting funds dishonestly. And uh, that day he receives an incredibly irate phone call from a guy in Lido Island with white loafers and a white Cadillac who fulfilled so many of the things Chuck had described that if you were to comp- computate that mathematically, it would have been nearly impossible that those two things had lined up so directly. Mm. And the guy threatened to sue Chuck because he was convinced that Chuck knew who he was and was you know, calling him out personally. So I look at that and I say, you know, the Holy Spirit sovereignly superintended mm. Chuck's mm-hmm. words to speak directly to that man that he might be convicted of a sin and repent. And so yeah. in that sense, God was doing something that Chuck wouldn't have innately had the ability to do in himself, but he was participating with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Well, let me, let me try to uh, bring this back around a little bit and, and get something um, specific that I wanted to accomplish before this first broad- or this, this uh, third broadcast is complete. Um, whenever I spoke about this uh, in, my, in my list of things about what I thought of, whenever I thought of the word charismatic, um, I thought of many different things. I mean, number one would be an emphasis upon the spirit in our lives. Okay? You can be more charismatic, less charismatic. There's not really a line that I see. I think you can overemphasize just like you can um, ignore the spirit. You can ignore Christ. You can ignore, you know, different uh, ministries in the Trinity. But the more charismatic we are, the more of a recognition we have of the empowerment of the Spirit. Would you guys agree? It seemed like what we were talking about beforehand. So, so there's there's being more charismatic in certain areas. Um, I talked a little bit about like the recognition of the spiritual battle that we're in. Uh, here's here's one thing that I see, is that the more naturalistic we are, the less we see these types of things. The less we have a tendency to look for miracles, to hope for miracles, to pray for miracles. The more naturalistic we are, and we can be naturalistic Christians. I mean, functional uh, deists almost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I see that as kind of the polar extreme of where the direction charismatic might go. I'd hate to say, you know, charismatic on one side and, and naturalist on the other as if they're equal. They're not. That's not what I mean. But you see what I'm saying. Um, with regards to um, 
the seeking of God's healing. We can be more naturalistic. Now, I'm not even going to pray for this guy. God's going to do with him what he's going to do. So I'm not going to bother trying to intercede in any sense. Or we can have a strong expectation that goes beyond what what you guys would represent, even to the point of this God has to heal him so long as we have faith. Sam, you talked about that last time. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about being charismatic. It is not talking about having some type of leash upon the Holy Spirit. And as long as we do the right thing, say the right things, the Holy Spirit is obligated to do what we ask him to do, what we tell him to do, and empower us how we want him to empower us. That is not what we mean. Uh, But also we have this, what we've been talking about here today, is um, oh also you can be more charismatic with regards to a worship. You know, what, what is a charismatic? One who raises their hands above their head whenever they worship, right? That, that's one of you've crossed that line. The line is your shoulders. Okay? <laughs> and, and but below the shoulders, you're not quite charismatic. You're more charismatic than you have, hands you have o- open hands yeah. in, in surrender. You, you've got the four stages, right? Open hands, hands below the shoulders, hands above the shoulders, and then the fifth stage is dancing. Right. Well, no. For, no well, you've got a few in between. You can have the one arm up. Oh, yeah. You can have the two arms up. Then you can dance from there. Or where, as where we does used to say, you can, it depends on what you want to be for Jesus. Do you want to be a stump, a bush, or a tree? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. good. That's Michael, good. just to make sure that I'm tracking with you, it almost sounds like you're setting up a continuum, and that's always one of my sort of least favorite ways to discuss some of these things in the sense of, you know, Aristotle's golden mean, that there's this overemphasis which tends towards wackiness, that there's this underemphasis. So what we're looking for is the porridge being just the right temperature. But, but I wonder if that's true. In other words, maybe you could inappropriately emphasize or misuse something, but can you over-obey? Can you be overly obedient to something? And it seems like Sam has been framing in the context of obedience. If we've been mm-hmm. called to do this, then it's not enough for us to just be open. We must actually be intentionally pursuant of it. And then, then the next question is, can you overly pursue? I would say no, but what you just hinted at would be where, where you say to God, heal like a dog, you know, and, and that is not an overemphasis, but a complete misuse and completely unbiblical approach to his command to pursue. Maybe. Well, can you be, have an overinterest in, let's say, demonic activity? I mean... Lewis's famous illustration, that, that you're, he's either the, in the red pajamas, you know, on the one hand, or you're dealing with the occult on the other. He doesn't exist, or yeah. Or, and sometimes or I think we can we can have people that uh, believe that uh, everything is satanic, everything is uh, of that battle, and have an overemphasis on it. And I'm just trying to frame it to where those people who are listeners, because I know so many of them, we all know so many of them, especially those yeah. of us who are in these circles, who you say this word, and that's automatically what they're referring to is this kind of extremism with regards to that particular issue or imbalance with regards to that particular issue. Not so much, uh, you know, an overemphasis upon worship. You know, I, you need to calm down your worship because, you know, God only likes us in the middle. You know, he likes this, you know, he only not likes too the much, bush. not too little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, um, I, I might want to take exception to the, to the illustration drawn from worship simply because in the last 20 to 25 years, the more contemporary, expressive worship experience has infiltrated even the most staunchly cessationist Bible churches. Uh, it's become a cultural uh, phenomenon rather than an expression of a theological conviction. 
it's it's become uh, you know you you actually I've actually talked to pastors who said. Um, given the demographics of our community and the people we're trying to draw, this is the style of music and this uh, that we need to have in order to draw them in. We need to intentionally cultivate a more free and expressive kind of worship that involves the lifting of hands, perhaps even dancing, uh, you know, extended, uh, prolonged uh, seasons of singing, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. But it has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do, with their belief that something uh, uniquely spiritual is happening between God and man, and nothing to do with a heightened sense of expectation about what might transpire. It's simply a church growth strategy. And so you can go, I think, I know I have, because I've traveled expensively and spoken in these churches. I can go into churches that were uh, denominational highly cessationist, very intentionally cessationist, who had a worship service that is altogether the same in terms of style and form as we have at Bridgeway. And it's probably singing songs that were written at charismatic churches, yes. too, yes. in many cases. Yeah. So. so, And I think probably a lot of our listeners are nodding their heads saying, yeah, I think you know our, our worship style isn't that much different from what I see on TV sometimes, but we have a totally different theology of the Holy Spirit. Well, my point is, whenever I'm bringing this up, is to say that that is not the issue, and I don't think it should be. Now, I want to ask you guys this. Because I, I, I think probably if we had a, a session on demonic activity, I might end up more on the charismatic end. Because you're scale pretty crazy you on that, yeah. Yeah, I, I am. I'm going through that's this your, phase. That's your closet doctor. Close phase. personal relationships with some demons. Well, <laughs> really, you know. well he's interested in knowing <laughs> no, no, I think the, the demons, demons that live in Edmund. In me because you know I'm, I'm more effective. Because you're you guys. big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you're a big target. Mike. That's a mark of maturity. Demonization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're you're right. I mean, that would be an issue in which I think the the distinction is more readily seen than than is the issue of expressive worship, because I the issue of uh, spiritual warfare and the uh, our, our response to the demonic is driven more by a theological conviction, I think, than is the style of worship that we employ. And there is, I think, among charismatics or continuationists, a heightened sensitivity toward and a belief that the demonic is uh, very much present and powerful. And to a certain extent, I think most charismatics would say we look to the Gospels as being uh, descriptive, not simply of how the demonic um, uh, manifested itself in Jesus' day, but how it also manifests today. And so, I mean, this is something we can get into, but this is a perfect illustration um, most non-charismatics would be reluctant to appeal to the um, to the example of Jesus and how he dealt with the demonized. Charismatics would be very much inclined to appeal to the example of Jesus. Uh, Neil Anderson is a good example of this. Neil Anderson, you know, has written Bondage Breaker and a number of books on spiritual warfare. He's not charismatic, and he doesn't, but he's obviously recognizes the reality of the demonic. He's involved in various kinds of deliverance ministry but he does not believe that we look to the example of jesus and what he calls power encounters to help those who are suffering demonic oppression Uh, he would look more directly to the epistles and what he calls a truth encounter and i think generally you will find that to be the case most non-charismatics most cessationists would be reluctant to say 
we need to approach the demonized in the same way Jesus did. A power confrontation, calling them out, casting them out. Um, they would be less inclined to do that. Charismatics wouldn't even hesitate for a moment to employ the same model and, and strategy that Jesus did. All right, we're running out of time, but let me get this question. We'll pick it back up next time. I think that there's going to be implications with all of these issues to some degree. You know, the, 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 the presence of the Spirit, the, um, the power of the Spirit, uh, the demonic stuff. However, would you guys agree, or, or is this still needing to be clarified, would you guys agree that the issue has to do, first and foremost, with whether or not these so-called sign gifts, and we'll just say so-called, is that okay right now? Uh, yeah, as long as you emphasize that. Okay. <laughs> so-called sign gifts such as tongues, and I'll put the big three I think there are that, that really stand out, tongues, healings, and prophecy continue. Is that the issue? Are you a charismatic? Are you defined as a charismatic by your understanding of those? Or, hang with me, okay, JJ? Or is it just the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, a belief in the power of the Holy Spirit, a, a, a emphasis upon the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you be one without the other, or do you need uh, what? What do you guys see here? Well, I would yeah. I would have to follow that. I, I don't want to complicate your question, but I would have to follow that up and say the power of the Holy Spirit to what end? I mean, for what purpose? What is it that you think the Spirit of God provides His power to us to accomplish? Is it merely uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to help me battle the temptations of the flesh and of the world and of the devil? Is it the power of the Holy Spirit to give to quicken my mind when I preach or the power of the Holy Spirit to give me boldness when I'm sharing my faith with a non-Christian? Uh, or is it the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in the full range of the gifts? So I think we have to be more specific because I, I, there are a lot of cessationist friends that I have who operate in great power mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit, consciously dependent upon the Spirit, who are rigid cessationists. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to be more precise in terms yeah. of what is the power of the Holy Spirit designed to accomplish? What are our expectations of what the power of the Spirit will do? Well, I was trying to use and, the power and I would of the agree Spirit too. to close this thing out <laughs> yeah. in a way that was uh, clear, but the power of the Holy Spirit was not within me because the power of Sam came in and, <laughs> and did not answer my question. Don't try to I go to Macedonia to. either. So I think you'll be You're going to have to wait till next week. Tim, you're going to have to wait till next week. I Whatever will. you had, hold it. I will. All right, folks. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we truly do. It's not, uh, it's not a debate about that. Uh, but uh, join us next week as we continue to discuss charismatic issue. And uh, JJ... You'll join us again next week. Thanks thanks so much for having me. All right. See you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.